Welcome to Supersized Science, where we feature research and discoveries nationwide, enabled by advanced computing technology and expertise at the Texas Advanced Computing Center of the University of Texas at Austin. I'm Jorge Salazar, a science writer at TAC. Just milliseconds after the universe's Big Bang, chaos reigned. Atomic nuclei fused and broke apart in hot, frenzied motion. Incredibly strong pressure waves built up and squeezed matter so tightly together that black holes formed, which astrophysicists call primordial black holes. Did primordial black holes help or hurt the formation of the universe's first stars, eventually born about 150 million years later? Supercomputer simulations helped investigate this cosmic question thanks to the Stampede 2 supercomputer of the Texas Advanced Computing Center, part of the University of Texas at Austin. Here to talk about their latest study using Stampede 2 to simulate primordial black holes are astrophysicists Volker Brohm and Buyan Liu. Brohm is a professor and chair of the Department of Astronomy at UT Austin. Liu, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Cambridge. Welcome to the podcast. You are welcome. Glad to talk to you. Could you speak to the main results of this work, uh, study on black holes and how they um, how they affect the formation of the first stars in the universe? I would say uh, I will I will hand over to Buyan in a, in a minute, but just uh, uh, to uh, again a broad introduction. So um, the the overall game plan is that we want to understand how the universe uh, was transformed from the simple initial conditions of the Big Bang. The Big Bang uh, put in place uh, the primordial fireball uh, was subject to quantum mechanical processes. And these quantum mechanical processes, they put in place the fluctuations in the mass density of the universe. And those fluctuations then, because of gravity over uh, very, very long uh, periods of time, uh, were amplified to structures. Um, and the structures, they were driven by the dynamical uh, importance of dark matter. Um, and the dark matter then basically put in place the skeleton, the, the scaffolding, so to, sp so to speak, for the formation of, uh, of galaxies. Uh, uh, and um, we have a very, very successful theoretical model um, how this proceeded. Um, this is the, the famous Lambda cold dark matter model, Lambda CDM. Uh, and this is very, very well um, uh, constrained observationally by observations in the cosmic microwave background. So we know the initial conditions for uh, formation of all structure in the universe. And this gets us to roughly a million years after the Big Bang. And of course, for a computational scientists, this means we can set up our numerical computational box. We have the initial conditions to very high precision. And then we know all the laws of of physics, um, and then we, uh, with the power of the supercomputers that we have available at uh, at TAC, then we can um, uh, follow the evolution of the universe for uh, for millions of years, uh, hundreds of millions of years, billions of years, until the moment that uh, these initial conditions, simple initial conditions, put in place by the Big Bang, uh, led to the formation of the first stars, first galaxies, and then ultimately the structures that can then be observed with uh, frontier telescopes, like now the the James Webb Space Telescope, the JWST, and other. Um, but uh, one big question is, uh, in science, this is one of the biggest questions that we have in science, what is the nature of dark matter? Um, so in astronomy, in astrophysics, we absolutely know that dark matter must exist because uh, it uh, is impossible to construct and understand the evolution of the universe without dark matter. But then um, we do not know from a particle physics 
viewpoint what the dark matter actually is, because we have never been able to detect it in, in a laboratory on, on Earth. The Large Hadron Collider at the CERN uh, in Europe hasn't, hasn't found any, any hints, and uh, there are no hints in the laboratory. So we don't know exactly what the dark matter is, and therefore it's really important that we are uh, broad in our approach, what we look at. And uh, very recently, and this is now where Bojan's uh, work comes, comes in, very recently uh, there has been increased interest in uh, a particular kind of dark matter, which is really um, linked to a very, very kind, strange kind of black hole, primordial black hole. So primordial black hole, um, uh, dark matter, this sort of is now um, incredibly hot, uh, hundreds of papers being written. And at that point, uh, I, I hand over to Bojan. Bojan, why don't you take, take, take up the story? Thank you, Volker. Um, so that's why we are really interested in, in primordial black holes. First reason is that it is Kind of a candidate model for dark matter. The second reason is, is that recently it, it has become really hot. And the reason for that is that uh, we have just detected gravitational waves. And, and these gravitational waves are produced by mergers of black holes. So it is possible that primordial black holes can explain this gravitational wave events that we have been detecting over the past like seven years. And then this just motivates us because we, we in the past, we worked mostly on early structure formation, also formation of the first stars. We want to know uh, what will happen if, uh, to, to the first stars if this universe really has primordial black holes. So uh, yeah, that's the main motivation. And for, for the main results, we found that the standard picture of first star formation is not really changed by primordial black holes. And this may not be a really interesting result, but this is what we found. And to understand why this is the case is, is actually very interesting. The direct reason is that we found that uh, these primordial black holes, they are technically far away from the star forming clouds. That's why they can hardly affect this small scale star formation process. Um, but also on larger scales, uh, we, we found that the impact of primordial black holes on early star formation history is also small. This is because there are two effects of primordial black holes, and these two effects almost cancel each other out. Uh, and this, the first effect is the enhancement of density perturbations that can accelerate structural formation. So you can imagine when we have primordial black holes at very early universe, these black holes are actually seas of structures because uh, the, the black holes will, will pull materials uh, onto them by, by their gravity. So, so they will actually enhance uh, structural formation. And the second effect is, is heating by gas due to black hole accretion. So when, when gas or materials fall into a black hole, uh, the gas will be heated up by the compression of the black hole's gravity. This will form a hot accretion disk around the black hole. And this disk uh, will emit energetic photons that can ionize and heat the surrounding gas. So this is what we call like black hole heating or black hole feedback. So then how these two effects are relevant for the first star formation. So, so and then to, to understand this, I need to briefly explain that like the basic or the ABC of, of star formation. So to form stars, we must condense gas to very high densities to trigger nuclear reactions. And to do so, we must now be able to cool the gas efficiently. Because if we cannot cool the gas efficiently, 
gravity will be balanced by pressure and then the gas cannot collapse. You cannot reach very high densities. So in the early universe, to cool the gas efficiently, we need enough coolants. And the main coolant in the early universe is, is hydrogen molecules. And according to uh, complex chemistry, we know the abundance of hydrogen molecules uh, is higher in more massive structures. So there is like a stressful mass above which we can form enough molecules to, to trigger star formation. This is called like the threshold mass of halos for first star formation. And now we have primordial black holes. And because these primordial black holes are, are seas uh, of structures, this, the structural formation um, process is actually accelerated. So there will be more massive structures that can potentially form stars. And then from this single effect, we may conclude that, oh, with primordial black holes, we can increase star formation or enhance star formation. But don't forget, we have the second effect. So with the second effect, gas is actually heated by primordial black holes. And therefore, that threshold of mass is actually increased by primordial black holes. And then when we combine these two effects, they, they actually work uh, in different directions. And, and in the end, the overall effect is actually small. And also, although we, we, we found that these two effects almost cancel out each other and, and the, the final impact is small, uh, this is just for the star formation. But uh, we also found that if we, if we go to later stages, uh, these primordial black holes can interact with the newly born stars. And, and this can have many interesting implications. But of course, this is beyond the scope of this current, uh, this, this work. And in the future, we may, we may further study that. Your team was awarded um, uh, resources from Exceed, the uh, Extreme Science and Engineering Discovery Environment, funded by the National Science Foundation. Would you speak a little bit to the, uh, the need, uh, why you needed uh, Exceed resources? Uh, they provide basically access to supercomputers and also to um, expertise to be able to make the most of them. Could you speak to um, why you needed this, this computational resource and, um, and also how it helped you overcome some of, the, some of these challenges that you faced in developing these models, uh, primordial black holes? Yeah, maybe I, I start again with some general overview and then and then Bojan can speak to the to the specifics of the PBH project. Um, so I mean in in general, um, uh, supercomputing resources uh, in computational astrophysics uh, 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 is absolutely vital because uh, right when it comes to understanding the formation of cosmic structure, how does the universe evolve? Then there's a ruling paradigm that we have in, in, in theoretical astrophysics, and this is called ab initio uh, simulations. Ab initio means we basically we follow the playbook of the universe itself. We, we know the initial conditions because um, uh, right, uh, they are incredibly well known to high precision from observations of the cosmic microwave background. And then we, um, we set up the, uh, the, the simulation boxes and then we, uh, we, uh, we follow the, the evolution for uh, for however long we can. But the, the issue now is when it comes to structure formation, this is sort of one of the really fascinating but also incredibly challenging aspects is when it comes to structure formation, this mixes in a way, um, mingles together in an intricate way, the very, very large scales of the, of the universe, uh, millions of light years, billions of light years with um, uh, scales that are incredibly small, ultimately quantum scales. Um, so um, the micro 
cosm and the macrocosm, they interact. And that means in, um, in computational terms is that uh, uh, any, any simulation that tries to model this uh, cosmic evolution has to deal with an incredible dynamic range of, um, of scales, scales, spatial scales, large, intermediate, small, and they, uh, they cross talk, they talk to each other uh, one way, the other way, um, but also time scales. Uh, we need to evolve the universe for billions of years, but some of the processes, uh, the atomic um, molecular processes that Bojan already alluded to that uh, drive cosmic evolution, they happens on timescales of years, even, uh, even smaller timescales. And so this is um, an incredible demanding uh, process to deal with this uh, hierarchy of scales. Um, and uh, this can only be done with supercomputing resources because before that, we only could do simple models, uh, um, right, uh, analytical models, um, um, one-dimensional models, uh, zero-dimensional models. But of course, right, the universe is uh, right is four-dimensional and um, right incredibly complex. This complexity absolutely needs uh, supercomputing resources. And so, for uh, all the time I've been at um, at UT uh, since 2004, really, um, attack resources, uh, TerraGrid, Exceed resources were absolutely uh, vital to uh, to be able to push the frontier. Of, uh, of computational uh, astrophysics. And uh, what Bouillon now is doing with, uh, with primordial black holes, this is again uh, incredibly intricate because primordial black holes, they are adding, uh, and Bouillon already alluded to this, they are adding even more complexity and more challenges. And Bouillon, why don't you say a bit more about what uh, right, you had to come up with to handle the, the new physics? Yeah. Um, For primordial black holes, um, so if we really want to understand their effects, uh, we need to resolve the structures around these primordial black holes. And, and this is like the analogy of cloud forming. So, so I, we, I also mentioned before that there will be structures around these primordial black holes. And to resolve these structures, the, so we, we just need enough resolution elements. And that's will really increase the uh, computational uh, cost. So, and, and also in this work, we are really interested in primordial black holes around 30 solar masses, uh, because these black holes can potentially explain the initial wave events we, we observed uh, recently. So this means that to really resolve the structures around these stellar mass or primordial black holes, we need very high resolution. So basically, uh, if we look into one typical halo or typical structure that can form the first stars, uh, we need around 1 million elements to fully resolve this halo or to fully resolve the structures around primordial black holes. And this is really why we need to use supercomputers at TAC. Uh, and also, I can give you some really uh, detailed numbers. So, so now with, with supercomputers, uh, with TAC, we can finish a simulation with 100 cores, CPU cores, with in, in just a few hours. And in this way, we, because, you know, when, when you do science, uh, you, before you really produce, uh, as a theorist, before you really produce uh, really useful results, you need to do lots of tests. You need to really uh, justify or really to improve your models. So we need to run many test simulations. And in the end, we also ran about 20 production uh, simulations. And then we have done this, I think in roughly a month. 
So this is only possible when we when we have supercomputers. So if we have to do this with a laptop, this will take just years. And also we, we, we may also uh, have bottlenecks with say memory and other other really computational uh, problems. So, so supercomputers are definitely uh, very important for, for this uh, project. Maybe um, uh, Dr. Brown, um, I want to take advantage of this, of this chance to, to ask you this about your, your uh, if you wanted to speak a little bit. Now, you, you did mention um, um, uh, the importance of, um, of, the, of, the, of the supercomputers to this field of study. But you know, maybe uh, could you speak to your own experiences as a longtime user of Exceed? How Exceed uh, has helped support some of the work that has led up up to this study and and up to future studies as well into um, the earliest moments, I guess, of the universe, and also explaining um, the mysteries uh, that surround us here uh, in the cosmos. In broad terms, right there too. There are two uh, two big uh, contributions from from HC that I have benefited in in my career at um, at UT. Um, uh, uh, the, the first, of course, is the the main contribution. Of course, Exceed uh, right, uh, allocates uh, large al large allocations. So, um, uh, and for the for the for the biggest production runs, of course, this is what is what is really needed to do uh, a state of the art um, uh, computation. So basically, right, uh, it's a very competitive field. Uh, there is a global competition and. Uh, and having access to uh, to these resources is absolutely enabling um, right, being at the frontier of computational astrophysics. But then also, um, um, I have also benefited um, uh, through um, through support from um, from uh, from from uh, dedicated um, exceed funded uh, TAC personnel. So uh, right, uh, for the TAC is always at the frontier of uh, of supercomputing. And then right, um, whenever there's a new architecture, um, uh, then of course right, there are new 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 operations, new new uh, new capabilities. And so, for example, when at some point Intel uh, a few years ago uh, rolled out a new a new chip architecture, um, a coprocessor, mic coprocessors, and basically the idea was that how can we can we take a maximally uh, advantage of this, and then we identified in our simulation that right, there was a certain uh, part of the computation, the chemistry routine, uh, which could be ideally outsourced uh, and put on these mic um, uh, chips, uh, and uh, that uh, needed some some special uh, coding and uh, and adaptation. And then uh, I, I I was given uh, a dedicated uh, uh, help from 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 a seed funded tech personnel. Uh, so uh, it comes in many many ways. Of course, really, I have the benefit of almost now 20 years of um, of seeing TAC grow. And of course, again, right in the beginning, it was TerraGrid. Now it's Exceed. But uh, it's um, everyone who is at uh, at UT Austin, faculty members, uh, postdocs, um, uh, students, um, uh, really everyone. Uh, right, we benefit from uh, from the fact that we have such a, such a premier supercomputing center. And this is no hype. Um, right, of course, often also when I as department chair, when I try to hire new faculty, of course, uh, right, it's a very easy easy sell because right everyone knows right uh, the reputation that that tuck has uh, as a as a as a premier exceed node so this is a major uh, competitive advantage that we have at ut and of course obviously right, supercomputing will be even more important because now of course it's not only us theorists who want to simulate of course also the observers the experimentalists they need to do big data uh, so i mean this is just fantastic that we have this uh, this uh, uh, this center at uh, at UT. So I'm extremely grateful uh, throughout these uh, these decades now.
You've been listening to astrophysicist Volker Brohm and Buyan Liu. Supersized Science is part of the Texas Podcast Network, the conversations changing the world brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed in this podcast represent the views of the hosts and not of the University of Texas at Austin. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.